Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. you got a Bible, let's open up to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And while you turn there, let me pray for us. Father God. Thank you that you are a compassionate and gracious Father, that you know our frame, that we're but dust, and you don't stay angry at your children. Um, And you don't call us to things that are impossible for us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and lived among us and you were tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, so you really are a sympathetic high priest. You were tempted with lust. You had sexual feelings, desires that that never were satisfied. And, but you understand the power and the temptation and the pull. And so, would you minister to us today through your Holy Spirit? I pray that today, for everyone listening, Lord, for the staff and the students, Lord, that this could be a Ebenezer moment, a rock of remembrance where there is a real breakthrough, a real change, real freedom. Or mainly just so we can please you, but also so we can have more pure joy, less shame, less guilt, and also certainly that we can be freed to give more of our life, time, energy, mental capacity towards ministering to others. For your glory, for their joy, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, uh, John Piper, I'm sure you all are familiar with him. I heard him say one time, the only time he almost got fired is when he preached a sermon, and I think this was probably 30 plus years ago in his big Baptist church, and the title of the sermon was Masturbation and Missions. And it probably didn't go over very well 30 years ago, but his point even then was, what's the main thing that's keeping more people, mainly men, from giving their life to the sake of ministry and mission of the gospel is they're overwhelmed with sexual sin. And, and the guilt and the shame, just like Jacob was saying, makes it hard to go out and boldly share the gospel if you're convicted and you're broken about what you were looking at last night or what you were doing. You've probably heard people say things like this, and maybe sometimes they mean it, maybe sometimes they don't. I promise you I mean it 150%. I really am standing up here as a fellow struggler. I am not up here as an expert that's got everything figured out, looking down at you, even though technically I'm standing up and you're sitting, I'm looking down at you. I am not spiritually, emotionally, psychologically looking down at you like, how dare you? I am I'm with you saying, I get it. I still get it. 46 years old, happily married, full-time ministry, and I totally get it, and it doesn't necessarily get easier. And I'm going to, in a sense, try this morning to give you a 16-point a uh, biblical-based plan to attack the sin of lust in your life. And it, but what, what it really is, is this is coming out of my own personal life struggle. Here, here are the principles I have gleaned from this. Okay, Imagine, what, think for a second, the hardest thing you've ever done physically, like competition, sports, whatever. Like, you may ever run a marathon, anything like that? No? Half marathon? Okay, all right, I've done one of those. I just heard about somebody, friend of a friend, they're training for a 200-mile race. 
Now, mainly that's just stupid, in my opinion. But imagine if somebody was giving this person advice about how to run the 200-mile race successfully, and they said, the one thing you have to remember to win the 200-mile race is blank. I don't care what you put in that blank, it ain't enough. Right? If you're going to do something that big, that hard, if somebody's like, yeah, I'm going to go climb, you know, the Himalayas or something like that, you know, next summer. It's like, well, the one thing you have to remember. It's like, no, no, no. There's lots of things you have to remember. You have to have the right equipment. You have to have the right food. You'll have to have the right training, the right team, the right, the right stretching, the right physical stamina, the right weather. There will be so many things that will go into something that big and that hard. Does that make sense? Killing lust in your life. And that's what we're after, guys. We're not after a negotiated peace. We're after putting this sin to death. It, it won't just be one silver bullet. And as with many truths in the spiritual life, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. And the one ditch over here that probably some of you are struggling with is just despair, give up, I'm stuck, it's never going to get better, what's the point? Keep it hidden, try to kind of manage it so it doesn't just totally ruin my life, but I can never kill it. Biblically, that's not true. The ditch on the other side of the road would be this. There's, there's some silver bullet out there. If I can just find it and do it, I'll be fixed. Now listen, God can do anything. God could zap you today in this meeting. I pray he would. Pray he'd zap me while he's at it. And just heal you from this sin. That's not the typical way that he works. And I realize in a room this big, there might be one or two guys like, man, I'm, I'm, I like girls, but I really... Struggling with lust is not my main sin. I struggle more with alcohol or drugs or gambling or something else. Okay, I think all the principles I'm going to talk to would apply to any sin. But also I'd say this, even if you really don't struggle that much with lust, I mean, number one, I'm being very serious. At some point before the day is over, get alone by yourself and lay on your face and thank God that he gave you that blessing that far you men get, certainly in our modern day society. But, learn these lessons anyway, because if you want to do ministry the rest of your life, like 98% of all the men you ever minister to, this is going to be a big deal. And if you're kind of like, uh, you know, I never dealt with any of that, they, they're not going to open up to you very much. Makes sense. you you got to understand. I'm not saying, well, you should go look at porn tonight if you never had. I'm not saying that. Okay? But I'm saying you need to understand so you can minister to now, um, <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. Timothy's a young single man, a pastor. Paul is giving him kind of general instruction about how to treat different people in the church, but notice what he says. Older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. Y'all probably heard this before. There's really only two ways to treat another woman. You treat her like she's your wife, or you treat her like she's not your wife. And the point is, because listen, right? You're young, you're single, you're dating, maybe you get engaged. It's like, well, what if we really like each other and we've been dating six months? What's allowed then? Or what if we're like in a gay? It's like, guys, the Bible is very clear. In one sense, hey, here's the good news. Once you're married, it's like a free-for-all as long as you and her are on the same page. You, her, and Jesus in the Bible, right? You're, you're doing biblical stuff. It's, it's, it's God is like a gigantic yes to sex. God is not anti-sex. God invented sex. God likes sex. God's not embarrassed by sex. 
He's for sex, but he just says it's like nuclear power. you got to keep it in the fireplace or to ruin your life, and the fireplace is called marriage. One man, one woman for life. You take it out of that. So in any way, listen, here's my kind of personal definition of sexual sin. Any way that you seek or receive sexual pleasure, you seek to give or receive sexual pleasure outside of marriage. Make sense? So this can be as small as just fantasizing in your mind, laying in bed at night, just kind of dreaming about doing something with a girl you saw in the food court yesterday. It can be making out with your girlfriend. It can be masturbating. It can be looking at porn. It can be looking at not technically porn, just bikini pics or whatever, but, you know, getting excited about that. But it's anytime you're looking for trying to get or give sexual pleasure outside of marriage. Make sense? And I know that's pretty strict. I know that seems impossible. Listen, it's not wrong to like sex. It's not wrong to say, I want to have sex one day. Right? It's not wrong to look at women and think they're beautiful. It's not wrong to see a woman and say, she's physically attractive. She's the kind of girl I would like to be married. Right? But when you start undressing them with your minds, imagining what they'd be like in bed, that's when you cross the line. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, Now... 1 Corinthians, there's going to be a lot of verses today, guys. So you can flip around. You know, if you grew up a Baptist and you're the sword drill and you can go there fast, go with me. If not, just take notes and go back and look at this one later. I mean, I think this maybe might be one that you want to take really good notes on because you might want to go back to a lot in life. Maybe. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, I think for years when I read that verse, guys, I kind of thought about it on a very small scale, meaning if I was about to look at porn on the computer when I was in college, like my mom would call me. It's like, oh, there's the way of escape, right? And I think it can be that, but I think it also means at a much more macro level, God will give you principles that you can break the enslaving power of this sin. And that's where we're at this morning. Okay. Um, now, yeah, 15 or 16. I kept adding. I think I got 16 now, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 2. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. That's where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 2. Starting verse 16. Garden of Eden. No sin. The Lord God commanded a man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. From the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And let's skip down into chapter 3, verse 5. This is Satan speaking to Adam and Eve. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and the tree was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Guys, here's the first point. You've got to know yourself. And here's what I mean more specifically. You've got to know your story, your life story. You've got to know your lies, and you've got to know your idols. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It's, it's very subtle, but that God named the tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was God's name for the tree. Satan came and took that circumstance. God named this tree the knowledge of good and evil. And he made that part of his temptation. Do you see that? This tree is called the knowledge of good and evil. It will give you knowledge that you don't have. You should do it. And that's part of what led them into sin. (laughs) Almost all of us have patterns in our life that started probably when we were in elementary school. 
that we're still reaping the consequence of today. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe for some of you, it's very drastic and traumatic like you were sexually abused. And so you had all these sexual experiences that were very shameful, but your body responded. You didn't want your body to respond. That's the way the body's designed to respond. You didn't do anything wrong. But you got addicted to certain type of experiences, and you're still struggling with it. For me, I had a friend in the fifth grade. This is back when you just had magazines, right, before the Internet, showing me magazines. Sneak over to his house. He would go by them. We'd look at them. And just get addicted to the, the, the lying, the hiding, the covering up, the nobody can know. Um, <clears throat> another thing, back then, my parents, great parents, you know, they tried to protect me in every way. And, but back then, TVs don't work this way anymore. But it used to be like, you know, you could get the cable package, which you say, we don't want HBO, we don't want all the channels. But HBO still kind of came through, but it was like blurred out. But listen, when you're a horny little fifth grader, it's like I'll do anything to see a naked woman. You wait till your parents went to bed and you go downstairs at midnight and you'd even watch like the half blurred out, just open. You get to see some boobs or something, right? Now, let me, let me just tell you, just make this real practical. You're going to get to hear some of my personal story. Even now today, if I've had a long day and I'm just tired and I just want to just chill by myself, watch the news, watch the office, just relax. Nothing wrong with that. It's good. But everybody goes to sleep, and I'm just down there just watching a football game, maybe. There's like neuropathways in my brain that are ingrained. Start looking for something lustful. Does that make sense? Still there. I hate it, but it's still there. And guys, the earlier you can start killing this stuff, the better. There's a great book. It's not about fighting lust, but there are so many good principles in there that apply to fighting all sins, specifically lust called Live No Lies by a guy named John Mark Comer. And he makes a comment in there where he says, you know, when you're younger than 50 or so, certainly younger than 40, you talk like this a lot. You say things like, well, one day when I grow up, you know, I'm going to be this. Or I, you know, I wonder what my life's going to turn out to be like. And, I, you know, my plan is, my ambition is to be like this. He says, once you get in your 40s and 50s, you don't talk that way anymore. The way you start to talk is, I guess this is it. This is who I've become. Because you really do get stuck. I've got a good friend... His parents had a terrible divorce. He's never dealt with it. He finally decided he would go deal with it. He went to go meet with a counselor to talk about it. And uh, the counselor said, how old are you? I think he said, I'm 47. He said, good. He said, there's still hope. He said, once you turn 50, you don't change. Now, can God do it? Can God change people? Yes. I'm just telling you guys, the quicker you kill this, the better. It does not get easier. There is neuroscience. I mean, just, just in the it's not just neuroscience, it's Bible. I mean, think about Galatians, uh, chapter 6. You sow the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. You keep sowing these patterns, they won't just go away one day. But if you sow to the Spirit, slowly but surely, you can kill them. So you've got to know your stories. And some of that may be talking to a mentor, talking to a counselor to help you do it. You've got to know your lies. And what I mean by that is Satan finds ways to personalize the lies in your life. I mean, here were some of the lies that I started to believe in when I was a little kid. And I didn't know it then, but as I've done work, met with counselors and stuff, I've started, part of what I was thinking is this, God's not going to give me the best stuff in life. God will give me good stuff, but if I want the best pleasures in life, I've got to break some rules to get it, like looking at pornography, like hooking up with girls. But then it's so shameful, nobody can know. I can never tell anybody. I've got to hide it. I've got to lie about it. Nobody can ever know, because if people know, they'll never respect me. 
Again, that pattern carries over. You understand? You've got to understand the way that Satan is personally lying to you so you can start attacking. And you've got to understand your idols. Okay? Now, what do I mean by that? You know, 1 John 2.16 says, All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. There's really three main rivers, so to speak, of temptation. And you see them right here in Genesis 3.6. Look back at it, right? So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that's your appetite, that's the lust of the flesh. And that it was a delight to the eyes. It looked beautiful, the lust of the eyes. And the tree was desired to make one wise, the boastful pride of life. Now here, guys, this is... People go to pornography and sexual sin for different reasons. For some people, it's the lust of the eyes. They, they just they love the beauty. And listen, it's not wrong to love beauty. It's just wrong to abuse beauty, right? You've got to understand your lies. Why, are you just driven by the longing for beauty? Or are you just driven by the longing for pleasure? It feels good. I like it. It's an appetite. I want it to be fulfilled. Or are you driven by the longing for respect? Now, that may seem weird. It's like, how does that work? But I, I had a guy disciple in Sanford for a while. You know, he didn't get all the dates that he wanted, right? He'd ask girls out. Sometimes he'd get rejected, stuff like that. And one time when he was confessing some sin, and we were trying to do some of this work, talk about his lies, his idols, he said, you know what I figured out? You know why I go to porn? It's not about the beauty as much. It's not about the pleasure. I mean, sure, that's nice. It's about the respect. The porn girl never tells you no. I'm just telling you guys, you've you got to dig into the psychology to understand why do I keep going back to these patterns. Okay. That was all point one. <clears throat> all right? Point two, don't cover up your sin and shame from others. I mean, that's the most natural thing, right? If you're looking at something on the Internet you shouldn't be looking at and your roommate comes in. I mean, if you're, if, if, if you're a halfway Christian, you're not like, hey, dude, let me show you what I'm looking at. As fast as you can. You're shutting it down, deleting the browser, wiping your history, whatever. And listen, this started thousands of years ago in the garden. Look at the first thing they do after they sin, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves one clause. I'm not telling you gotta, I'm not saying that you've got to tell every stranger on the street all your sin, but you need to have one or two or three people in your life that you're brutally honest with. All the thoughts, all the temptation. Listen, if you were abused, you need to talk to somebody about that. I had a counseling professor in seminary. He said, Satan will define you and condemn you by your secrets. He, he, he will magnify them. But the best disinfectant in the world is just light. Bring things into light. James 5.16, this is a verse we're going to refer to again. It's a very important one. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And the word healed there can, be, can mean a spiritual healing, not just a physical healing. It can bring real healing, like a breakthrough from addiction. <clears throat> You've got to talk to people about this stuff, guys, okay? Um, third point, okay? don't run from God. Don't hide from God. Look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Don't do that. And you say, well, how exactly does that work? When you're conv- I had a roommate in college. <laughs> and great guy, godly, passionate, doing all the stuff, trying to share his faith, bold. But I could always tell if he'd had a bad night with a girl. Because the next morning, he just wouldn't get out of bed. He just, and he'd like stay in bed all day. 
He just felt so much guilt, so much shame. It's like, I can't even get out of bed. And we hide from God, right? You may not do it that way. You may just work really hard, entertain really hard. I'll binge a new season of Better Call Saul or whatever, you know, and I'm just, won't think about God. When you're the most broken, when you're the most convicted, when you feel the most guilt and shame is the main time you need to run to the Word. You need to run to prayer. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Guys, if you're not in the place of prayer about this, like, regularly, you don't have a chance. You don't have a prayer if you're not praying about this. So, when you most feel like, I can't talk to God, that's when you most need to talk to God about it. Fourth point, don't lie to yourself. Don't blame shift. Don't minimize. Genesis chapter 3, verse 11 through 12, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. You see what he's doing? He's like, it's really her fault. It's kind of your fault, God. You made me this way, but I guess technically I did something. Be a man. Take responsibility. Had a buddy from high school. We were involved in like a Christian ministry together. We grew up. We went to different colleges. We met back at like a winter conference one time. And somebody told me, dude, he has gone off the deep end. He's like leaving the faith. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, dude, he's going to strip clubs like all the time. And he's just like unapologetic about it. And so me and him are like walking. I'm trying to talk to him. I'm like, dude, is this true? And he's like, well, man, you know, God's the one who gave me desires. And God's the one that made these women beautiful. And I'm like, are you serious? like the stupidest argument I've ever heard in my life. Like, I get it, right? I like beautiful women too. But they, you can't make an excuse. Take responsibility for what you've done. But, but I do the same thing sometimes, right? Scroll through, just look at bikini pictures. Well, it's, it's not really porn. It doesn't really count, right? It's not as bad. I don't feel as guilty. Now, technically, it's not as bad. But the point, that's, that's not a point to get in a comparison game. The point is, I need to own my sin and repent of it. Take it serious. Fifth point. Flip over to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, the story of Joseph. I bet most of you know him. He's beaten up, almost killed, sold into slavery, terrible life. Gets to be a slave, living in the house. Master puts him in charge of everything. The wife comes after him. Uh, Excuse me, Genesis 39, not 37. Genesis chapter 39, skip down to verse 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused, and look at what he says. <clears throat> and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me, Except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So the first thing I want you to see is God-centered motives to fight. Do you see what he's saying there? It would have been easy for him to say, man, I've had a tough go. God let me get beat up by my brothers. God let me get sold into slavery. I deserve this. You ever felt that way? Man, everything in my life is going wrong right now. I just deserve a little something for just me, and that becomes a justification. Joseph says, you know what? God's blessed me. God's a good God. God kept me alive. God got me a really good job here. The love of God, the enjoyment of God, 
honoring God. That doesn't have to be your only motive to fight sin. That's got to be the biggest and the deepest. Because he's the only one that's always seeing what you're doing. Right? Okay. Um, so, do whatever it takes to fight against sin. Okay? Um, the more you'll worship, the more there'll be a sense of, I love God. I like God. I enjoy God. I want to please God. He's worthy of my worship. It'll make you more serious about saying this sin, although it's fun, although there's pleasure in sin for a season, it's not worth it in the long run. I got to kill it because I love God that much. Okay. Um, now, <clears throat> keep going just there in Genesis 39. Um, verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she called him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, guys, I mean, I realize that most of the points up to this point have been more kind of heart level, counseling, dig deep. And then there's a place for that because there is a real place from just run away. Run away. If you got a girl on campus that maybe your freshman year you hooked up with a few times and you know she's easy. And every time you see her, it's like, don't talk to her anymore. De you know, delete her number, block her number. Do y'all forget, I get these random texts at times. You know, it's like, hey, how's your day going? Like from some... Attractive looking Asian woman I've never seen before in my life. <laughs> I'm serious. I get one of those about once a day. I mean, not once a day. Once a week. And I just block the number. Right? Fine. How's your day going? It's like, I, I, and, I, and I've told my wife, I just want you to know, I get one of these about once a week. Don't know why I get them, you know? Run away. Be serious about get. Listen, you can't totally get out of the world, Right? I mean, you got to go to the food court at some point to eat, and the way girls dress today, it's going to be like, good freaking gracious, I feel like I'm at the beach in the food court. <laughs> but everything you can do to get away from sexual temptation, run away, guys. Get away. There's deep heart work to do, but there's just some practical stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Just run away. When, when, because, okay, just let me just fast forward. Let me get real practical for a second. When my wife and I, dating, engaged, you know, and in some sense, things get even tougher then. Because it's now it's like, I'm in love, she's in love, we're going to get married. God's, it's like it's almost there. And it's, now it's not just the physical feelings, it's all the emotional feelings. It gets extra dangerous. So we literally, when we were like getting seriously dating, we got to where it's like we can't be alone together. We'll go out to eat, you know, we'll go play tennis or racquetball or whatever, go to a movie, you know. So we were together a ton, but it's like when it's just like, hey, you just want to hang out at my apartment and watch TV? It's like, no, yes, but no, no freaking way, because I ain't going to be watching no TV, right? <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much I fasted before I got there. I mean, li literally, it's like I can remember fasting, praying. Oh, God, help me. Help me be so holy tonight, right? Knock on the door. She opens the door. And it's like, I'm not thinking about Jesus anymore. Only one thing I'm thinking about. And so it's like, she's like, hey, I'm almost done getting ready. Why don't you just come in? I'm like, no, I'm just going to wait in the car. You know what I mean? 
I'll be in the car praying. And you just come down. <laughs> and I'm serious, guys. And listen, when we stuck to this rule, we were holy. I remember going home at times, either to my family's house or her family's house, you know, for Christmas or something. And it's like, you know, your parents go to bed at 10 and you're in college student. You're like, I'm in love. I want to stay up and talk to my girlfriend until 4 a.m. And so what we started doing is we'd like go to Waffle House. I can't tell you how many times it was like me and her and two old fat truck drivers in the Waffle House. You know what? Nobody's getting naked in Waffle House. <laughs> and what happens is, guys, you end up talking a lot more. You end up getting to know them more as a human being, as a soul. And then you go home and there's no guilt and shame. And you feel good about yourself and the relationship and your walk with God. And your conscience is clear. Whereas, you go in the apartment, you watch a little TV, you make out a little bit, you just wrestle with it you know, for a half hour. Then you go home and you're angry. You're angry at yourself. You're angry at her like she let it happen. And you're kind of angry at God. Why'd you make me this way, right? It's not good. There's pleasure in sin for a season, guys, but there's always a bitter aftertaste. Run away as much as you can. Flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is the story of David. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. Again, you probably know this story. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Look at the end of this verse. But David remained in Jerusalem. Is this technically sin? Maybe, maybe not. The point is this. Idle hands are a devil's workshop. Okay, so this is point seven if you're keeping track, I think. Stay busy in the Lord's work. That can be school. That can be athletics. That can be ministry. But listen, lots of time alone. Lots of time bored and lonely by yourself. Even if you're like, I'm just going to have eight hours tomorrow read my Bible. It's like, that sounds great. Maybe go do it at a public place. Because it might end bad if you're all by yourself, right? Um, have you ever heard the, the acronym HALT, H-A-L-T? When you're hungry, when you're angry... When you're lonely, when you're tired, that tends to be when you're tempted the most. Stay busy in the Lord's work. I'm not saying you won't struggle there, but you'll probably struggle a lot less. And then look what's going to happen. This is point eight, verse two. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. Now, guys. You're walking around on your roof. You happen to see, accidentally, a beautiful naked woman taking a bath. Your body, your mind is going to like that. That's normal. That's not wrong. The, listen, the first second isn't sin, it's temptation. You understand that? It's what do you do with the second second? What do you do with the second look? What do you do with the second thought? Do you look away and say, oh my goodness, I need to, I need to go back to battle. I need to go chop a giant's head off or something. I do not need to be at home hanging out by myself on the palace roof. Or you're like, hmm, I'm going to check her out for a minute. In fact, I'm going to send one of my servants and say, figure out who that is. Guys, don't just, this has been one of the most helpful things in my life. Don't just confess sin, confess temptation. 
Don't just wait till it's already happened. Then call your accountability partner. Oh, I had a bad night last night. I mean, do that. But what's better is when you know the tempting night is coming, confess before you get there. This has been one of the game changers in my life practically. I mean, just a couple of months ago, this was over the summer. We, we had a month where there was a lot of travel in our family. There was a lot of sickness in our family. There's a lot of adult children who were home all the time and up all hours and in and out of the house. And me and my wife were getting along great, but, the, but not getting along in the one way I'd like us to be getting along as much as I'd like. Right? And so one day, I think it was a Friday afternoon, I'm leaving the gym. It's kind of the end of the day. And it literally, like I get done with the workout, I'm putting my weights up and it hits me. Everybody's going to be out of town tonight. I hadn't thought about it until right then. And really quick, my mind goes to, I bet if I try hard enough, I can find something on TV, sexual to watch. Now, John Piper says, when you're tempted with lust, you've got about five seconds to kill the thought. If you let it stick around and kind of, you kind of play with it in your mind for five seconds, you're done. So I knew what I needed to do. I've got a group of men that I meet with. You know, we, part of what we do is hold each other accountable. I was like, I need to just text these guys and say, pray for me, ask me about it tomorrow. But I didn't want to do that. I'm the, I'm the minister in the group. I'm supposed to be the spiritual one. It's embarrassing. But I knew it was like, I got about five seconds. And if I don't shoot out a text, I'm going to have a bad night. Make sense? Guys, it's a lot less embarrassing to confess temptation on the front end and have a good night than to not confess in your pride and self-righteousness or stupidity and laziness, whatever it is, and then have to confess later. Confess the temptation. Or confess it the earliest sin. What if David be like, I did lust for her, but I'm going to go confess to my accountability partner, Nathan. Nathan probably said, okay, uh, the Lord forgives you. You know, if I'd have seen a naked woman taking a bath, I'd have probably lusted for her too. Not the end of the world, David. Don't do it again, right? David didn't. David stuffed it. It led to adultery. It led to murder. It led to cover up. It led to, also, it led to a civil war eventually. Old country song used to say, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You give Satan an inch, he'll take a mile, guys. Don't play around with sin, period. But certainly don't play around with this sin. I mean, right, it's, it's killing our culture, guys. Another thing Piper says, I mean, if you, you know, ask Pastor John, he's got a lot of good stuff in fighting lust. Desiring God, the whole website. But he said... For most men, when we see a lot of skin on a woman, you know, it, it's almost like being drunk. It's like you, you stop thinking straight. Take the thoughts captive quickly. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, right? Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again... The Bible agrees with the best neuroscience. It's like you, you have cut these pathways in your mind because of the dopamine that gets released during orgasm and you get addicted to it. And it takes time to create new pathways in your mind. And you do it with the Word of God. You do it with prayer. You do it with obedience. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. As soon as you notice a thought in your mind... It's bad, right? The girl walks by and you're like, that was interesting. I'd like to look at that again. Take, take it, tap it. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Help me, God. 
Help me think of that as a human being, as a soul that will one day either be a sister in heaven with me or suffering in hell for all eternity. Hard to lust after somebody like that. Um, Martin Luther had this great quote. I think he was talking about lust. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head. You can't stop them from building a nest in your hair. You're not going to be able to stop random thoughts going through your head. You ever had that happen? Right? You just wake up in the middle of the night. Maybe you're laying in bed just praying. Next thing you know, you're thinking about some girl. Don't beat yourself up. Okay? Just take it captive as quick as you can and then move on to something positive. Kill it and move on. Proverbs. I think this is the ninth point. Okay? Proverbs chapter 5. Get married. Now listen, you're like, what if I have the gift of singleness? If you're struggling with lust, I don't think you have the gift of singleness. That's my personal opinion. All right? Proverbs chapter 5. Look at verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And that's talking about your sexual prowess, basically. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. This can be your new favorite memory verse once you get married, right? <laughs> Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Now, guys, I want to be really careful here. Getting married will not fix all your problems. And there's a lot of Christian guys that think that. If I can just kind of white knuckle it and hang on and not totally screw my life up and get married, then I'll just unleash all of my sexual desires on my wife and everything will be great. No, it won't. Okay. Meeting with a men's group recently. You know, guys kind of my age and stage, 30s and 40s. Now, one guy in the group said, I've been married 21 years. Struggled with masturbation before I got married. Since I've been married, I've never masturbated again. I've wanted to, but I haven't. So I tell you Marriage can make a real difference, right? Because now it's like there is a legitimate outlook. Until you're married, you're like, I'm just sitting here taking lots of cold showers. You get married, there's a, there's a way. But don't put all your eggs in this basket. This is one point among many in the strategy. Because in that same group, there's another guy that says... I've been married for a long time. And he's like, me and my wife had sex three times a week like clockwork every week. He's like, and I still struggle with porn and masturbation. Now, almost certainly it had something to do with the way these two guys grew up and the sins they were doing before they got married. And that's why, guys, I'm talking to you. That's why I'm so passionate. Do everything you can to kill these sins before you get into marriage. I was on a phone call this morning about a couple that's really struggling. They're separated right now. Christian couple, bunch of kids, really sad though. And what is the main root of it? Not the only root, but the main root? The husband's sexual sin struggles and addiction that started when he was a kid. Kill. Listen, you think it's hard to confess to your roommate? Hey, I looked at porn and tell you. It's about a trillion times harder to confess that to your wife. Some level, your roommate really doesn't care. It's like, okay, dude, I get it, you know. She doesn't get it. And it's personal to her. It's a betrayal. It'll be infuriating. So, um, tenth point, Matthew chapter 4. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 4. God, I just, I want to hammer that home for a second. For the sake of your future wife, most of you will get married one day. One of the best things you can do to love her right now, kill lust. Kill lust in your life. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Fasting is powerful. You don't have to do a 40-day fast. You could do a, you know, once a week, a 24-hour fast. That's, that tends to be the most realistic, right? Like maybe you eat dinner Monday night, you don't eat anything else again until it's Tuesday night. And, and you don't just fast as a diet plan, spiritually. The time that you would spend cooking your food, eating your food for breakfast, going out to a restaurant, buying it, sitting there waiting to eat it, you take that extra time that you're not eating and you spend extra time in prayer. And you pray specifically against this. But you're also training your body to say no to natural, normal, good appetites. Fast. Point 11. This is a really, really important. Choose specific fighter verses to memorize and quote against temptation. Look at what Jesus does. Matthew chapter 4. And the tempter came. This is uh, chapter, chapter 4, verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now notice, Jesus didn't just quote a random verse, right? Satan said, I know you're hungry. Use your powers. Break your fast. Disobey the Father's rule. Make yourself some bread. And Jesus is like, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was like, Jesus had a verse about bread. So, remember I said, Know your idols? If your idol is beauty... Memorize a verse about beauty. Psalm 27.4 speaks about David wanting to meditate on the beauty of the Lord. If your idol is more about pleasure, this is me. Memorize Psalm 16.11. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forever. Why am I tempted to go watch this TV show? I want pleasure. I want illicit pleasure. I don't want pleasure. Pleasure is good. I just need to find it in the presence of God. If you're after respect, Isaiah 66, 2. There, there's one translation that says, This is the man I respect. He who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. You want to feel respected? What if God respected you? Doesn't get any better than that. Okay. And then when the temptation comes, you quote it. When I was in high school and I was really starting to walk with the Lord and I had a mentoring relationship with my dad and I'm talking to him about some of this stuff, he said, memorize Romans 6. And anytime you're tempted, start quoting Romans 6. And guys, that was probably when I was 16. And I'm 46 now, 30 years later. And still now, sometimes, if lustful thoughts start kind of overwhelming me, I will start going, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live any longer? Or don't you know that all of us, right? Quote the scripture. Quote the word. Okay. Twelfth point. We're nearing the end, I promise. Okay, I won't even read the passage, but if you read from Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, all the way to verse 10, you know what Satan does? He doesn't give up. He brings another temptation. Jesus quotes a different verse. He brings another temptation. Jesus quotes a different verse. You've got to persevere. James chapter 4, verse 7 is one, another one of my favorite verses. Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's a promise. Satan finally ran away. But I have to obey and be resisting through the word, through the word, through the word. Okay. Thirteenth point. Okay. Matthew chapter 5. Flip over to this. You'll probably know what's coming on this one. Matthew chapter 5. Let's start in verse 27. This point would just be kill all forms of temptation that you can. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Um, that's not the verse I wanted, sorry. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I mean, if you don't get serious about fighting this guy, Jesus says you'll go to hell. What if I'm really a Christian? If you're really a Christian, you'll seriously fight this sin. And if you play with this sin, that might be the sign you're not a real Christian. You're a Judas. You're faking it well. Take this sin serious. Now, he doesn't literally mean you've got to cut off body parts, right? He doesn't mean cut your hand off, cut your eye out, because he says pluck out your right eye. Well, you could still lust with your left eye. What he's talking about is the intensity, the urgency, the radical nature of what we should be willing to do to kill this sin. So let me just give some really personal examples. Here's my laptop. It has reporting software on it. And the main person that gets it is my wife. I have an accountability partner too, but my wife gets it. That makes it real serious, right? I've got the same thing on my phone. Oh, by the way, I don't have the app store on my phone. I'm a 46-year-old grown-ass man and I don't have the app store on my phone because I don't trust myself. If I want to get a new app, I need a new app, I have to go to my wife and say, honey, would you put in the password? And she's great. She's trusting. She, she's not a policeman. She doesn't want this role in my life. I have asked her to play this role in my life. Does that make sense? And part of the reason I asked her is because even sometimes male, listen, should every married guy do this? No. Every wife can't handle it. I'm not saying that. I'm just figure out what works for you. But sometimes what I found was male accountability partners weren't taking it seriously enough. My wife takes it seriously enough. I'm like, hey, thank you. I got the app. Will you take the app store back off? Because I don't trust myself. And any app that I think I might be able to get something, just delete it. Now, I remember a guy was discipling in college, and he was really struggling with porn, so he got the Covenant Eyes browser and was doing all that. And you know, after a month or two, he's like, man, it's going so great, so great. Then another month or two later, he's like, ah, I'm really struggling again. I was like, well, you still using the Covenant? And, no, I went back to Safari. And I'm like, well, why? I, the other browser was just so slow. I'm like, seriously? That, that was it? I just wanted to be able to get the ESPN faster. With a little masturbation on the side. Is it worth it? Or is it better to say, I'll take the slow browser, but I'll be pure. Guys, this, this has got to be like a fight to the death. Everybody's seen at least one of those Jason Bourne movies, right? Everybody's seen at least one of those movies? Okay, maybe not. Okay, but if you've seen any action movie, at some point there's probably like a great fight scene where like one dude has to choke the other dude out. You know what I mean? And I love those scenes for lots of reasons, but, but one reason is that, I mean, imagine what it would be like to literally be in a fight. For the, you know, and it's not just like sparring with your buddy. It's like, i got to murder this guy or he's going to murder me. The level of intensity. You'd be willing to rip his eyes out. I mean, sitting there trying to choke somebody to death, I think I held my breath one time for two and a half minutes. How long would you have to sit there and clutch down his windpipe until he's finally dead? You would probably be so exhausted once it was over. Some of you are like, where the freak is he going with this? That same level of intensity is what we ought to bring to a fight with lust. It's a fight to the death. One of the greatest theologians of all time said, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. 
Satan's not fair. He doesn't take vacations. He doesn't play nice. There is no mercy. He hates you. He wants to murder your soul. And you've got to fight fire with fire. That's John Owen that said that. Okay. Guys, I have friends now. I went to college. They were involved with campus outreach. They came on the leadership retreats. Almost came on staff. They're divorced now and they get to see their kids on the weekends because they didn't deal with this stuff. I got other people. Great families, great church, great colleges. They're in jail now because they didn't deal with their stuff. It's not a joke. It will ruin your life and it will ruin the lives of those around you. It's easier to kill now than it is when you're in your 40s. Start now, guys. Put it to death. Flip over to Luke. I promise we'll get close to the end. Same passage we looked at last night. Luke chapter 11, starting verse 3. It's just the shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. Give us each day our daily bread. Listen, Jesus means for you to pray daily and to pray about whatever you need. I mean, a lot of times I pray, Lord, give me today the self-control I need. Give me today the discipline. And verse 4. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. God, you ought to be praying. If you're struggling with this, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Don't let temptation overwhelm me today. Help me fight well, please. And then James 5.16, I've already mentioned. I think this is point 15 if you're trying to keep up. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Ask other people to pray for you. Pray with you. And then the 16th point, the last point. We're finally here. Everybody flip to 1 John 1, nine. Even if you know it, I want us to look at this one. 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, I think this is the key phrase for a lot of us, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you feel cleansed, guys? The blood of Jesus is powerful enough, it's deep enough to drown all your sins forever. And to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness, all the shame, all the guilt. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual morality. All other sin a man commits is outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. What does that really mean? John Calvin says it means that sexual sin has a deeper staining effect. There's more shame that comes along with sexual sin. It's not the worst sin, but it is a more serious sin, Right? If you go to the CC's Pizza Buffet tonight and just eat like a fool, a glutton, that's sin. You should repent. Are you going to really feel ashamed about that? It's kind of funny, right? But the sexual sin goes deeper. But the blood of Jesus is more powerful than even sexual shame. And here's the thing, guys. You were created for joy. That's why we go to sexual sin. We're looking for joy. There was some old theologian, I don't remember his name. He said, the man that goes to the brothel, it's an old English word for whorehouse, he's looking for God. We want joy. 
And so you go to porn or you hook up with some girl or whatever and there's a sense of joy for a short season of time and then you feel terrible afterwards. But then you don't tell anybody. Maybe you stay in bed like my roommate, whatever. And you're just going to be kind of piling on the guilt and the shame and I'll, I promise I'll never do it again and I'm going to fight this thing alone. But you're not going to be able to because you need joy. And so what you'll eventually do is just go back to porn for more joy. Whereas if you'll say, I'm going to go to Christ and my brothers and I'm going to confess. And it's going to be humiliating and embarrassing. But I am going to experience the joy of the gospel. The joy of the cleansing effect of the blood of Jesus shed for you is the ultimate power that will set you free from this. Now, guys... Two more thoughts and we're done. Um, the slow, steady, simple, boring way is the way you win this race. It's not going and doing something radical. A 40-day fast, a night of prayer where you don't sleep all night. If you want to do that stuff, great. Do it. Add it to the list. But I'm just telling you, there is not a silver bullet. It's going to be the slow, steady, persevering, simple obedience in the small things. And again, non-Christian counselors, neuroscientists, people like that will say it takes about 90 days to reset the dopamine receptors in your brain so they don't feel addicted to getting an orgasm whenever they want it. You know what 90 days from now is? It's New Year's conference. And my guess is you're the CEO leaders, most of you are going, okay? Christmas, what if all of us together said, hey, the next 90 days, next 90 days, let's try to apply these principles. And we see each other on campus. We, we ask you, how's it going, man? Praying for you. You pray for me. Here's a temptation I'm struggling with. Let me confess temptation. What if we together as a group did this for the next 90 days and said, what kind of difference would it make? And let me just make it even more practical. You're never going to be sinlessly perfect in this life. Okay. But what if we just said, I'm not hooking up with anybody unless you're married. Me and Jacob get to hook up with our wives. All right, rest of you, I can't, can't hook up with anybody, right? I'm not hooking up with anybody. I'm not looking at any kind of porn. Like, I mean, nothing digitally stimulating, right? Game of Thrones, whatever it is you're watching. And I'm not masturbating. Just, what if it's just those three things? Like 90 days... By God's grace, with these principles, I'm going to kill those three things. I may not kill every thought, every desire, every glance, but I'm going to kill those three things. But even if you stumble, even if you fall, guys, Christ is a gracious master, a master that loved us enough to shed his own blood for our souls. Father, we want to be holy. Partially we want to be holy just because we're just sick of the struggle. We're sick of struggling with sin. We want to be holy so we can be laborers and we can be good husbands and daddies and bless people. But mainly we want to be holy because you're such a good God and you're worthy of us walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Please give extra grace to us. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.